0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Galley. Our guest this week is Juliana Potts, President and CEO of the North American Meat Institute. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Learn how a strong U.S. sugar policy supports a sustainable and efficient sugar supply chain at SugarAlliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with the Meat Institute's Juliana Potts next. America's sugar farming families and workers are proud to say that our sugar is made in America. The U.S. sugar industry supplies America with affordable sugar and provides good jobs in communities across the country. A new study from the Agriculture and Food Policy Center at Texas A&M found that the U.S. sugar industry supports more than 151,000 jobs and contributes more than $23 billion to the economy each year. America's sweetest industry is supported by a sugar policy that costs taxpayers nothing. Learn more about how a strong U.S. sugar policy supports a sustainable and efficient sugar supply chain by visiting SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The meat industry has weathered the COVID storm and continues to push against supply chain issues as well as a limited labor workforce. Juliana Potts, president and CEO of the North American Meat Institute, says her members have declared hunger as a non-competitive issue and are collectively embracing sustainability and consumer confidence in the process that brings meat to their table.
1: So the focus and the objective um, for our members to engage in what we call Protein PACT, and PACT is an acronym, P-A-C-T, for people, animals, and the climate of tomorrow. And so we're really looking for continuous improvement um, across all of those uh, aspects that you mentioned improvements in food safety, in environmental impact, in worker safety and in uh, uh nutrition and, and uh animal welfare. We, we we are looking to commit uh to consumers that in every one of those areas our values align with theirs and we want to produce a product that they find uh trustworthy. They know it was produced in an ethical uh and safe and uh and uh, environmentally sustainable manner and that is really what it's all about is 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 continuous improvement in the industry that allows us credibly to build trust in the consuming public with with the meat and poultry that they love and that they they want to have uh, feel good about about consuming so it's an all hands on deck it's an all industry effort our Part of it, of course, as I've described the the, uh, membership of the North American Meat Institute, our sector has made commitments to improve in those areas and has identified uh, 92 metrics across those five areas that we're going to be measuring, are measuring, I should say, and and, uh, collecting data on. But in conjunction with that, partners across the whole supply chain, so all of the uh, commitments that are being made in these areas um, with our livestock uh, organizations such as the uh, National Pork Boards We Care Program, uh, the U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, the U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Poultry and Eggs. We're working in conjunction with all of the uh, industry uh, to collect data and to ensure that we're speaking with one voice uh, across the supply chain so that our friends uh, in the retail and food service industry that interact with consumers um, also have the information that they need about how to answer those consumer questions.
0: Do you, it's all about building trust. Do you fear the debate that is coming perhaps in the new Farm Bill or in other areas of the country over sustainability, that there would be those that were willing to sacrifice productivity in the name of climate? And can we afford to do that?
1: I don't believe that we can sacrifice uh, uh, Yield. <laughs> I don't think that we have uh, uh, the ability to say, you know, we can, we've got to cut production uh, because there's a hungry world and, and the world needs us to find uh, innovative ways to produce more while using uh, uh, less or having less of an impact on the environment. But agriculture is part of the sustainability solution. And it's, there are lots of, uh, technological advances we've already seen, and we're seeing more. When, when you put all these smart minds, uh, and, uh, technologies towards solving some of these problems, you wind up with, uh, incredible solutions that both animal agriculture and crop production can take advantage of. And I am convinced, uh, that when the, the rest of the world uh, understands what is available um, we're not going to be cutting production we're going to be um, in the developing world I mean we're going to be bringing some of that technology to develop to the developing world uh, markets and uh, and it's going to um, be transformative uh, but our our focus on climate is important uh, but not at the expense of of production because there are too many hungry folks to feed and and too much fuel and fiber that's needed uh, in the world for us to
0: do that within the meat industry here in north america can we finally say now that covid is over or are you still battling the disruption of the the synchronicity if you will of the industry
1: well, that's. There are lots of answers to that question. I think the the the, the primary one is that the processing plants are are running and are uh, not quite back to full capacity because of labor. So we still have a labor deficit um, across the industry. I hear about it anecdotally. I think we'd probably put a measurement on it of about 5%, but that makes a big, big difference uh, in the capacity of the plants to run, um, you know, uh, throughput for um, for the animals. So we're still suffering from um, a deficit of labor, and and I think that's very uh, much what we're hearing across, you know, all aspects of the industry. That's not unique um, to our Processors and packers in the animal agriculture space. However, um, I think it's to to um, put a, a, a different spin on it, maybe, and and other supply chain interruptions. You know, we've got stuff going on with the ports and the rail system that have made um, normal activity, you know, very challenged and. Uh, you know, when it comes to trade and just moving moving things around, we're in the meat industry probably not uh, unique in that either. But I think as we look at, at things that have had this long tail uh, from the pandemic of not having um, uh, the same uh, reliability and consistency, um, it gets to our you know, ability to service the equipment in the plants and getting, you know, service people into the plants uh to to, to do that, parts. Um, we've heard lots of stories of of um, you know how parts are uh sometimes not available, packaging. I mean you think about all the things that go go into getting uh a steak into the the uh um, the grocery store and it's it's beyond labor, but um I think labor is the primary reason that, that we still have a tail on the pandemic in terms of capacity and and uh reliability in the supply chain.
0: When I talk to Zippy Duvall, the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, when I talk to other leaders, uh they would easily say the top issue for them is labor. And yes. from the from the farm standpoint, a lack of farm workers is leaving some land fallowed. It's changing the crops that some farmers raise because they can't get labor. Uh, it is changing the face of the production side of the business, and they need H2A. But from the meat packing industry, from your membership, you need a completely different sort. So what does Washington need to do to resolve the situation? And if they don't, then what can they continue to expect to see?
1: Higher prices. Uh, so inflation, um, you know, has has many causes, but one of the primary things that that would help with uh, the price of meat would be a labor force in our processing plants. Um, you're right. H2A does not uh, work for um, our processors. We could use a special. Program, uh, an expansion of an existing program or a special visa program for workers specific to the meat industry. And I would suggest that there are other uh, processors in in other sectors who could take advantage of such a program as well. It really requires a, a desire to really work on food prices Uh, for the politicians to come together around a solution for the processing side of the industry. I I, want to point out, you know, that as much as um, we'd love to see um, labor on the farm uh, significantly um, impacted by some of the things that are on the table right now, I mean, we're, we're very supportive, you can't get the product to the customer without going through the processing, uh, whether it's meat or, or dairy or, or anything else. So it's got to be a holistic approach um, to fixing the labor issues that we have in agriculture that includes our processing plants, or we really haven't solved the problem for the increased costs of food that we have seen over the
0: last uh, year. So after the Holcomb fire, I understand that the Department of Agriculture did an investigation uh, into the prices that were paid to producers. And I also understand that the Department of Justice is involved in in an investigation of price fixing right now. Following the Holcomb fire, the USDA investigation, what did they find?
1: USDA looked at it and and said that the uh, the. You know, economics, um, the markets really reacted in the way that um, was was expected. Um, it was a terrible situation for everyone involved. I was very proud of the way our industry stepped forward and got uh, the capacity back to what it needed to be running, you know, uh, Sometimes extra shifts and and through the weekend to really take up the slack that uh, Holcomb had left in the system and so got really really got to it and uh, and I think the recovery from the Holcomb fire was was very very rapid, um, although that didn't get much reported at the time um, but in terms of the 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 market reaction. Um, it it behaved exactly as uh, economists would have expected. So it was a good story, but also a very terrible event.
0: Colin Woodall with the Cattlemen's Beef Association said, we owe it to the industry to finish the work of the Department of Justice investigation. And as yet, I don't know that we have seen any particular results of that investigation. With regard to the work that's being done, uh, easily fingers are being pointed uh, at the meat industry for the disparity in prices, but there are a lot of circumstances that are taking place. What needs to be considered here about your industry, about the food supply chain, and all the elements considered?
1: Uh, I mean, it's a it's a great opportunity um, for me to be able to speak to um, some of the Elements that go into you know where we find ourselves. We've already been talking about the labor situation. That's probably um, the, the the biggest issue um, that that we have right now. If we could address labor, um, we the throughput would increase. We would have um, you know lower prices throughout, and uh, I think that would that would go a long way. To uh, addressing inflation at that end of the uh, uh, of the supply chain, however, uh, there are other things that that are um, playing into this, and it's and it's inflation across the board. So whether it's um, uh, you know fuel, uh, energy costs, um, uh, packaging. Uh, everything, transportation, you know, everything has has increased. And so we're, we're seeing um, a lot of impacts from the post-COVID um, inflationary era that everyone is experiencing. And, and really, you know, the, the meat industry is no different. I just would point back to uh, our labor situation. If we could address that across uh, a food processing, we would be, doing a huge service to not only our livestock and, and uh, other food producers, but also um, our ultimate consumers uh, downstream who are really hurting um, you know with uh, paying for, for food at the grocery store.
0: So legislation introduced that would put a special investigator at USDA legislation introduced by Senator Fisher and Grassley that would set the mandatory controls with regard to the auction system and how animals are sold. The nature of this legislation, even both of those, how do we characterize where these concerns are coming from and how can your industry help to put these issues to rest?
1: So in both cases, there's an opportunity to... Look at where those conversations started, where those policy proposals came from, and it came from a different time, when capacity in our sector was way down, and therefore you had uh, prices drop for livestock producers. It 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 was terrible, and it it was um, a, a situation that where. The market did behave in the way you would expect the market to, but the policy proposals, both of the ones that you mentioned, come from a place of trying to fix that. And our proposition, and many economists who have uh, looked at this and have agreed, agreed with this, is that the proposals aren't going to fix what caused those reactions from livestock producers to begin with. Not only that, I think the uh, unintended consequences of particularly Grassley Fisher, which would mandate certain uh, types of cash trades, very unintended consequences for producers. So there may be other things to think about, but the market has, particularly for cattle, you know, prices have, have rebounded, and so... Without, without cash mandates and, and without the special investigator bill. So you have to look at where the market fundamentals are and decide whether there really is anything broken. But what is proposed, what's on the table, isn't going to fix uh, what I think the economy market for cattle and market in the beef side would dictate. Let's consider where we are
0: now given mm-hmm. the inflation situation of the country, the labor situation that we have, but also let's add the caveat of weather that has hit some areas of the country tremendously to the point mm-hmm. that some producers are liquidating herds. That could be putting more animals uh, lined up for sale now, and it could reduce the number uh of animals available later for meat so what could be ahead
1: oh definitely that that is that's coming and uh it will have there will be fewer animals to uh to go through the the plants and that means that prices for those animals will will increase and i think that is um, definitely on the horizon um means that with uh less uh beef uh, prices potentially at the retail and food service end of the supply chain could increase as well. You know, basic principles of supply and demand. We're predicting that there's going to be a much, much smaller herd, and therefore there will be a price impact on either end of the of the supply chain.
0: So, with a focus toward the fall, uh, the Supreme Court will draw attention to California's Proposition 12. Why is this a concern, and what could it mean if the Supreme Court allows Prop 12 to stand?
1: Well, this has been quite a, an interesting and lengthy litigation. I'm thrilled to see that the Supreme Court is going to answer the ultimate question, which is, you know, can a state um, put requirements in place for production in this case of, of uh, animals, of hogs, but but really anywhere, uh, any kind of, of agricultural production, or, or you can expand it, you know, beyond that. Can a state say you can't sell your product in our state unless you have produced it according to our uh, requirements? I think everyone is watching this case with great uh, anticipation that this will speak to uh, issues way beyond um, pork production. And if the Supreme Court upholds, um, then I think there's a different conversation to be had. And, And at that point, Congress may be asked to weigh in. Uh, to preempt the kind of uh, patchwork of regulatory requirements that any state could impose under the kind of thing that uh, California did in Prop 12.
0: Juliana, I would have to believe that the U.S. agriculture industry is at the ready to participate with the White House Conference on Hunger. What is encouraging about that effort, and what participation are your members already willing to Uh, to display
1: it's an interesting opportunity in that this kind of thing hasn't happened since i believe 1969 so a lot of anticipation about what is going to come out of of this conference that is yet to be scheduled and i believe we've heard it's going to be toward the end of september our members have committed to closing the protein gap for hungry people And that is something through the Protein Pact that we have committed to. Some of our members have made incredible commitments already to doing that, and these are the kinds of actions that we're providing in this conversation on the White House Hunger and Nutrition Conference. So, for example, Cargill has donated $4.9 million to Feeding America together with Protein Pact. So that local food banks can increase the availability of meat in clean rooms for folks who need fresh meat and poultry, dairy and eggs, which is very hard for food banks to get to, to hungry people because of the nature of those products. They need to be, you know, kept in a certain way and uh, to be safe. And so providing more infrastructure for those kinds of uh, donations has been one of the commitments that um, that uh, the North American Meat Institute is working with our members to provide in the context of this conference. We have designated food security as a non-competitive issue among our companies, and we have formed a food security committee within the North American Meat Institute to really focus on how do we get food uh, uh meat and poultry to hungry people, and that's very exciting and very consistent with where the White House conference, I think, is headed, and so we're looking forward to highlighting even more of those things that our member companies are doing as we uh, get closer to the conference and then in the aftermath.
0: Well, Juliana Potts, no shortage of challenges and opportunities, for that matter, for the meat industry in the nation. We thank you for taking time to be with us on this edition of Open Mic. It is open mic, and today you've got the last word.
1: Oh, thank you, Jeff. I'm a glass-half-full person, and I always believe that there is something very positive for us to come together on, build consensus around. And so I would just uh, tell you I appreciate the opportunity, would love to talk to anybody about um, joining us in protein packed, and look forward to the next time we get to, to speak
0: together. Our thanks to Julie Potts, President and CEO of the North American Meat Institute. Our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Learn how a strong U.S. sugar policy supports a sustainable and efficient sugar supply chain at SugarAlliance.org for AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.